0: Well, hello, everyone. Greetings from Texas, actually. Uh, My name is Jacob Wearson. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the co-substitute teaching leaders of our St. Louis Young Adults class, Uh, and we're going to be studying – uh, the Gospel of John today in John chapter 9 and what is our final lesson before the Christmas holiday. So as we dive in, go ahead and get your Bibles out. I got my lecture out here on my right, so you'll see me looking to the right a little bit. I got my lecture here on a computer screen. I'm down here in Texas actually visiting some family, so I'm away from St. Louis for the holidays, but I'll be back ready to study the rest of the Gospel of John with you in the new year. Uh, so an early Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone. Uh Why don't you pray with me as we get started, and we'll dive into John chapter 9. Heavenly Father, I come before you right now, and I just ask you, Lord, oh my gosh, what a crazy season this is, Lord. Um, For so many of us, we are busy. Lord, we are busy. Um, A lot of things are going on with family, with friends. Uh, Many of us are enjoying all the amazing things of the holidays, but we're also burdened, Lord. For many of us, this can be a difficult time. Uh, during the holiday season. So Lord, I ask you to meet us wherever we are right now for this next 30 minutes. Center us on you and your word. Quiet our our souls. Remind us what's important and what matters. And remind us that you're with us through it all. Um, And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me make sure my mic, my mic is all set. Video is all set, so let's dive into John chapter 9. Um, so, we're in another year. Uh, as I mentioned, we're entering another Christmas season, uh, and near the halfway point, not quite at the halfway point of our study of John, but we're pretty much there. And I think as we get to the end of the year, it's always a good time to evaluate, right? It's its a good, um, uh, you know, where, where you've been as you've read with us here in the Gospel of John, maybe this is one of the first times you're listening, maybe you haven't been reading um, through John um, with us this year, but... But the end of the year, during this Christmas season, during this holiday season, it's always just a good time to reflect. Um, And reflection can be a powerful tool to see, you know, where you've been, where you're going. It's also a good time to see uh, where God's hand in our lives this past year has been, right? How did we encounter God? How did we see him at work in our lives? Um, You know, for many of us, 2023 has been a painful year. Uh, It's been a year filled with maybe confusion or personal difficulty, Um, moments when we felt like um, we felt loss or we felt wandering, that we were wandering, or we experienced personal tragedy. Um, For others, it was a joyous year. It was a year of great triumph, a year of growth, a year of success. Um, Maybe 2023 for you was a year of. Crossroads, right? A, t- a time to decide, to make big decisions in your life. Wherever you're at at 2023, um, I think an important question for all of us is where is Jesus? Where has Jesus been in your 2023? Um, where have you seen him at work this past year? How have you experienced the Son of God in your personal life? How have you grown in your knowledge of him have you, as you've studied through John? Or maybe, again, is this, if this is your first time listening to us, um, maybe through another personal study of God's word. Regardless of what you went through this year, um, how did you encounter Jesus? Did you encounter Jesus as your Savior, as the Lord of your life, uh, as the light of the world, as the one who satisfies your deepest longings and quenches your deepest thirst? Um, did you d- encounter Jesus as the one truth who lights your way and heals spiritual blindness. Uh, the ultimate reason for this time of the year is to celebrate the birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. No matter what else is going on, that's actually why what we are celebrating here in this Christmas season. Um, so t- today in John chapter 9, we're going to be focusing on looking more deeply at who Jesus is as the Son of God, as we see him as the light of the world, the ultimate healer, and the one who opens our blind Sin-stained eyes. So the lecture today uh, is brought up, actually divided into three main divisions. Uh, The first division is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I've titled that A Miraculous Healing. Uh, we've got the second division, John chapter 9, verses 13 through 34. That's A Suspicious Investigation. And then division three, John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41, A Perilous Morning. So three divisions. We're going to break each division up, and we'll have a principle at the end of each division. So go ahead and get your Bibles out if you haven't already, and let's go ahead and start in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, A Miraculous Healing. So John chapter 9, what did we study before this? Well, we studied John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, Jesus was explicitly telling a crowd and religious leaders that he is the great I am. And that was a hearkening back to the Old Testament name um, that the Lord gave himself uh, to Moses in the burning bush. So, Jesus was saying in John chapter 8 that before Abraham, before the prophets, that Jesus is the great I am. He is declaring himself um, pr- most profoundly uh, that he is the eternal one, that he is the great I am. He is the one the prophets foretold and basically stating, right, in, in pretty clear language that he is God himself, and that caused some controversy, right? To say the least, <laughs> you know, that caused a stir. And you know what? The more we read into John and progress into this gospel, Jesus is con- is going to continually draw both believers, but he's also going to continue to draw tough, outright opposition. And the reason is because Jesus is uh, outrightly declaring who he is and what he has come to do. And we read in John chapter one, right, that Jesus is going to cause division Jesus is going to cause opposition. Um, The world did not receive him. However, Jesus is also going to bring people to himself, and we're going to see that also in John chapter 9. So, that was John chapter 8. That's uh, kind of the the whirlwind that we were reading from last week, and we're entering into John chapter 9 here. Uh, And as Jesus is moving along here, verse 1 tells us that Jesus saw a man born blind, now I just want to stop here briefly, and I just want to highlight because sometimes we read you know about these healings, and we read and we think, "Oh, Jesus just saw a man on the side of the road, or he saw a paralytic, and he was like, "You know what i think i'm going i'm going to go ahead and heal this guy right now um and and, and to us, it can seem that he 's just having this random interaction meeting this random dude on the side of the road who just happened to be born blind. Uh, I think we just have to take a pause here, and we have to remember that each person that Jesus encounters. Each situation um, that Jesus enters into and and each person that Jesus heals is a divine purpose. It is a divine appointment. There are no coincidences with Jesus. There are no accidents, but rather everything has been sovereignly instituted by his Father, and it is being carried out by Jesus the Son. This has been planned far in advance, right? God has divined um, Jesus the Father has, divine, has divinely appointed Jesus to meet this man born blind. There's a specific reason and purpose. It's not just by coincidence. It is absolutely on purpose. Just want to remind us that, of that, that there is there are no coincidences, there are no accidents with Jesus and his interactions with people. Um, all right, so moving on, verse 1 tells us that Jesus sees a man born blind. Verse 2 tells us uh, that the disciples ask a somewhat startling question, right, that for most of us, especially in our present day and culture, would— be like, this is kind of an offensive and strange question to ask. Uh, The disciples ask, um, Jesus, who sinned? uh, This man or his parents? Uh, Implying that the reason this man was blind was because of some sort of sin or generational curse that was uh, brought upon him. And again, to us in our present culture, this is a strange, this is an offensive question, but in this time period, this probably wasn't an unusual thing to say or believe. It was a common belief that bad things just happened to bad people, right? People brought it unto themselves. And we know, um, reading scripture, we know in the plans of God that life is not always as cut and dry as that. Suffering is certainly not as cut and dry as that. But in this time period, um, people were believing, right, falsely, that um, ailments – and illnesses were a direct result of some kind of sin, either by that individual or by those that individual's ancestors. Now, Jesus takes time to point this out uh, and to actually address this and and point out the disciples' incorrect thinking on this. And I I do love that Jesus takes time to free us from false beliefs, whether it be religious or secular or incorrect thinking. I think this is a grace, and this is and this helps us lead us to true freedom. Right? This is part of Jesus. Um, kind of uh, unmasking us and and removing our blindness. And it's a a grace that Jesus provides to be able to point out the false thinking here. And Jesus says plainly, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Uh, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Whoa, that is a powerful verse. For one, I love the first part of that verse. I love when Jesus says that this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, you know, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians twelve nine that Christ's power in us is made perfect in weakness. We can say that whatever infirmities or roadblocks or burdens that we face today Because of Christ's redemption on the cross and in his resurrection, our weaknesses are displayed so God's power might be displayed in us. And I think we have to remember that, right? When we're experiencing pain and brokenness, God delights to show his power, glory, and sufficiency in those moments. And how about the second part of that verse? Uh, Jesus reminds us, right, that this interaction was no accident. It's no coincidence. Jesus is doing the work of his father while Jesus is on this earth. And Jesus concludes this verse by stating he's the light of the world. He's the one that reveals the darkness of sin to us and leads us to everlasting life through him. And the next verse show how Jesus conducts his healing using very ordinary and natural resources, right? What does Jesus do? The dirt that he created mixed with saliva, placing it on the man's eyes, And after the man is healed, Jesus tells the man to wash in the pool of Siloam, and that man is healed. Uh, And, of course, after this miracle, um, you know, we see reactions, right, from the people around this man born blind. Um, We have reactions from the neighbors, from those who had seen this blind man. And this blind man, who's no longer a blind man, but a, a blind man healed... Uh, confirms to his neighbors, yep, that's me. I am the man that was born blind, but now I see. And this man rightly points out that it was Jesus who healed him, um, but he doesn't know where Jesus is at the moment. So, a principle here for our first division is that encountering Jesus heals us from the darkness of this world and frees us into the truth that only Jesus provides. Principle here, encountering Jesus heals us from the darkness of this world and frees us into the truth that only Jesus provides. All right, so going back to what I originally said at the beginning of this talk, uh, that every encounter, right, that Jesus has is on purpose. It is divinely appointed by the Father. And we have to remember here again, right, that Jesus is revealing who he is. Uh, he's revealing the second person of the Trinity. Uh, he is revealing that he is, excuse me, the second person of the Trinity, that he is indeed the Son of God, that he is the Son of Man, that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited one whom sent by the Father has come to save the world from sin and death. Uh, Jesus is here to be the light of the world, as he said in verse 5. The light of the world, the gospel of John tells us, exposes the lies and the darkness that the world believes. Um, the light of the world lights the way towards truth and eternal life, which are only found in Jesus Christ. And again, the disciples in the culture of the time of John 9 believed many lies about God. They be- believed incorrect things about God as any generation, any culture, Any human beings do, right? We need the truth of Scripture and the truth of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us because we believe false things about everything because our hearts are corrupt and our minds are blinded, right? That's how um, we are born into this world, right? We don't see things clearly and properly. Um, But again, one of the lies that they were believing was that this blind man was being punished for his sin, Um, and and. Lies can produce damaging results, right? They can end up burdening and shackling us far more, of course, than benefiting us. And if we think about, um, this man probably believed this too. He probably believed that he was being punished for some kind of sin. Uh, Maybe his parents also believed this lie too. Uh, So not only was he physically blinded, but he had the weight and the burden of potentially being an outcast to society, being all alone, feeling all alone, And oftentimes that's what spiritual blindness and that's what lies can do to our soul, right? They burden us. And when we think about, um, you know, some of the lies that I think we falsely believe, we have to ask, what are those lies that we're buying into? What are the lies that we are believing in this world? I think we have to ask, um, you know, that can be asked of of people who have put their faith in Christ. Um, That can also be asked of those maybe who are seeking Christ and have not put their faith in him yet. Um, but how about some questions maybe to get to get us thinking about this? What lies are we potentially believing about ourselves, about God, about the world that we live in? Um, so I'm going to start us with a few questions so we can do some self-reflection. I said at the beginning, right, that we are, you know, the end of the year is a helpful time of reflection. So here are some general statements um, that we may or may not be believing at this time. So I'm just throwing this out there to get our brains thinking about some of the things and lies that we just take without really ever questioning them. And and some of these statements are going to sound maybe potentially absurd to you. They're going to be like, well, come on, this is a blatant lie. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer, right? I don't believe these things. We may not outright, outrightly say that we believe these lies, but our behavior or what we believe about God or what we do is a bit more subtle and it often tells a different story. So just open your heart to the Holy Spirit right now and just maybe just be an, have an honest reflection. So, I'm going to throw out some statements, right? Some general statements that we may or may not be believing right now about ourselves and about the world around us. Statement number one um, this is a common one that I think that we hear oftentimes. Uh, many paths lead to God, right? No one religion has the ultimate answer. Uh, another statement, there is no God, you know, there's no God. Live and let live. Listen to your heart. Do what feels right for you. Life is about discovering yourself and a, and living to your best potential. Um, you have your truth. I have mine. As long as you're not really, really bad or doing really, really horrible things, it all works out in the end. Um, how about this one? Uh, the satisfied and good life is to have a life of career or romantic or physical attract- attractive success. <laughs> The goal of a satisfied life is to have a successful life. That is what is most important. Or how about this one? Who I am consists of what I look like or my personality, my relationship status, my popularity, my career success, how much money money I have in the bank. The measure of who I am is directly related to the measure of success that I have in some or all of these areas. We may not believe these things, but subconsciously, we might take our cues from the world around us and we might actually end up believing them more than we think we do. Or how about this? Maybe some more pointed, more religious specific questions. Uh, You know, if you would describe yourself as a Christian, um, for example, we might say, I believe in Christ, but once I'm saved, it's up to me now. I need to work to earn to keep God's love for me. Christ did his part on the cross, now it's my turn to show what I can do for God. You know, if I sin and if I fail, I fear Christ will no longer love me and I'm going to have to work so hard to get back to where I was. Maybe this one. The goal of the Christian life is to be as put together as possible, play the part, be super busy, stay in ministry, do, do, do. This is what Christianity is all about. Or maybe some more difficult statements. I have wasted my life my failures my pain my suffering have no purpose and nothing can be redeemed okay some of those statements are a bit bold some of them are potentially absurd right we may not necessarily 100% outright say these but subconsciously if we're honest we might live like these some of these statements are true and what's challenging about these statements is some of them, especially the Christian ones, the Christian-specific ones, can be sprinkled with some sort of truth or truth-sounding statements, things that we might have heard at a Bible study or at church or from family or whatever, right? They they have some truth-sounding statements, some, some common wisdom to us, but they have no origin in scripture, no origin in the gospel, and they obscure who the true God is. The degree to which we believe these lies have differing consequences, right? Some of these produce Incredible burdens, they can create feelings of loneliness and rejection, and aimlessness and meaninglessness in life. And some of these lies have eternal consequences. If someone has not put their faith and trust in Christ, it can determine the trajectory of one's soul. But whatever statements, and there's a thousand statements and a thousand truths, quote unquote truths, little little tea truth that we get from the culture and from social media and from the world around us. Right? We get thousands of messages a day on social media and, and, or whatever we're listening to. But whatever statements or lies that we are believing now, Jesus the Son of God, delights to set us free from them. So we ask yourself, right What lies are you believing? If you were to think on that right now, what could you honestly look at and say, "These things I am believing, and they are the world's philosophies. they're, they're my own limited perspective. They're not from Scripture, they're not of God what do we do with that? What do we do with those statements? Well, let's keep on reading and um, let's see how Jesus encounters that. um, And let's see the hope that he provides to set us free. All right. So that's division one. Let's continue to move on in John chapter nine, division two, verses 13 through 34, a suspicious investigation. John nine verses 13 through 34 a suspicious investigation. Uh, you know, as with, a- with anything that Jesus does, right, the religious leaders and the Pharisees never miss an opportunity to try and find fault with Jesus, right? Um, so, their spiritual blindness, uh, their pride, their envy, their religious bigotry prevent them from seeing Jesus for who he is, uh, and which is being the son of God, right, come to save the world. Um, but rather, they see him not as the son of God, but as a threat, Right to their power, to their prestige, a threat to their religion, and this is seen most clearly uh, as the Pharisees launch an investigation uh, into this blind man's healing, and what should have been a joyous occasion, right to worship and glorify God for this miraculous healing, turns into a one-sided trial filled with lies and hatred. All right, so we got stage one. So I'm going to break um, this this in- sham investigation, this suspicious investigation, into three stages. Stage one, I'm going to call the interrogation of the blind man. Um, So that's um, verses 13 through 17. So what do we see in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 9? Well, we see the Pharisees bring in this man, right, born blind, and their first angle here is that Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath because it was the Sabbath when this man was healed. Similar situation, if you remember from John chapter 5, Jesus heals a paralytic on the Sabbath as well, and it's the same accusation, right? They say, oh my gosh, you must not be of God because you are doing work on the sabbath they are incorrect in their thinking about the sabbath they are incorrect in this accusation but nevertheless this is the angle that they take and they say okay well jesus must not be god because he healed on the sabbath um but others counter and say wait a minute wait a minute but he does such marvelous deeds right how can this man not be of god if they if he didn't do these miracles uh then when they ask the blind man what they think of jesus the blind man says look i think he's a prophet right i'm telling you i've been healed i can see now This man must be a prophet. Well, the Pharisees don't really like that answer, so they move on to stage two of the investigation, which is bringing in the blind man's parents. So they brought the blind man in. Now they're bringing in the parents. And and in this stage, the Pharisees are quizzing the parents to even see if this man was born blind at all. Um, They are doing everything they can not to believe in Jesus, right? Their unbelief and their blindness won't quit. And isn't that true, just of spiritual blindness, right? We will do everything. We will go to a, a million different things other than Jesus, right, to get what we want. But instead, right, the Son of Man was right there. They could have just gone to the Son of Man right there. But they're doing everything in their power not to believe in Jesus. So they bring in his parents, and they question his parents to determine if this man really was blind at birth. And his parents don't really defend this, their son, right? Instead of outright defending him, the parents acknowledge, yes, this man was born blind, and now he can't see, but you know what? They're not really willing to, to say how he got his sight. And instead, they, ask the they tell the Pharisees, look, our son is of age. Why don't you bring him in and question him? And they were afraid, right? The parents were afraid of the Pharisees because the Pharisees were kicking people out of the synagogue if people were confessing Jesus as Messiah. So the parents can't even defend and stand up for their own son. But the Pharisees aren't done here. Excuse me. Um, the Pharisees are not done. Um, they bring in the man for the second time, and um we enter stage three of this investigation in verses twenty uh starting in verse twenty-four. So they after they bring in the parents, they bring in the blind man for the second time, and they um after questioning the blind man again, right, throwing out the same questions, accusing Jesus of being a sinner. The blind man says one of the most beautiful phrases, I think, is in all of John's gospel. And in verse 25, the blind man says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's amazing, right? The blind man is essentially saying, I don't know who this man is, but I'm telling you right now what he did in my life. It's a simple and it is an honest faith. And we say this so many times, especially from the outcasts and the people that have nothing to lose these people that encounter Jesus and say, I don't know who this is, but I'm telling you what, what happened to me and what he did for me. So after more questioning um, and the same line of questioning, the blind man gets a little snarky, right? And he says, I've told you already, right? I've told you these things, who, who, what Jesus did for me. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And, ooh, the Pharisees do not like that, right? Uh, They are, of course, course furious at that statement. They start to hurl insults and claim that, you know, they don't even know where Jesus comes from. But you know what? The man healed does not stop there. He presses the Pharisees and he takes a stand to defend Jesus. And And the man healed now says, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What a declaration of faith. This blind man doesn't know who Jesus is, or this healed man now doesn't know who Jesus is, but he is saying, you are missing it. You are totally missing it, right? This man is doing a miraculous healing, and you are focusing on these things, and this man basically points out the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees uh, and their ignorance and their willful ignorance. And at that, that's the Pharisees' last straw, right? They, tra- they get furious, they hurl more insults, and then they throw them out. And it's a tragic, unfortunately, it's a little bit of a sad ending, um, you know, in this division. And I think that leads to our next principle here, which is that spiritual blindness causes envy, pride, and spiritual brokenness clouding our perspective of the one true God. Spiritual blindness causes envy, pride, and brokenness, clouding our perspective of the one true God. You know, I said this earlier, but, you know, again, think about the absurdity of the response of the Pharisees, right? This man who was born blind an outcast to society was healed. He was no longer blind. And, you know, the Pharisees with all of their studying of the scriptures and their studying of who God is, should have been the first ones to be praising God and worshiping him for this miracle. And you know, in a perfect world, we would have seen the Pharisees seeking out Jesus to ask him, how did you heal this man? Where are you from? Um, Teach us, right? Tell us who you are. They would have been asking themselves, in a perfect world, is this the Messiah, right? And ready to believe in Jesus. But of course, (laughs) we... This is not a perfect world. This is a fallen world, and our hearts are clouded by spiritual blindness. And the Pharisees looked at this, and they truly were blind, uh, and they refused to believe in the Son of God. And, you know, we look at that, and we think, how could the Pharisees have been missing this this whole time? How could they be missing it? And, but you know what? We, I think we have to pick, take a pause here, too, and we have to ask ourselves, wait, what about our blindness, Right? What about how we view Jesus in our own lives? I um, mean, you know, I have to be careful here because if we are truly believers, right, if we are ones who have put our faith in Christ and trusted in him for our salvation, we're free, right? We have been set free. We are no longer spiritual, spiritually blind, but we still wrestle, right? We still wrestle with a spiritual blindness that causes us to look for salvation in anything else but Jesus Christ. We still, still wrestle that even after we have come to him in faith. Um, we, th- we turn to a thousand different things other than Jesus to help us make us feel safe and secure, um, right? We turn to ourselves, we, we turn to what we do, our own sacrifice, our own service to earn God's love, and we start to forget the finished work of Christ that has already been accomplished on our behalf. We turn to accomplishments, we turn to worldly success, we turn to riches, we may turn to romance, relationships, we may turn to our family to vindicate us and to get some sense of redemption and rescue. This is a daily struggle of the human heart. And you know the absurdity of it all? In our searching, in our wandering, we miss the one who gives sight to the blind. We miss the one who frees us from sin, the one who has died on the cross and has rose again. Um, But Jesus is a kind and compassionate Savior who longs to free us from our spiritual blindness and lead us to himself. So let's see how he does that with the man born blind in the final part of John 9. I keep saying the man born blind. You know what? He's the man healed now. He's no longer a man born blind. Just as it is, right? When we come to faith in Christ, we have a new identity. This, bland, this blind man no longer has the identity of being a blind man. He is healed. So I'm going to try to remember and refer to this guy as the man healed from this point forward. So um, let's read on here to what how Jesus encounters this healed man now uh, with compassion and love in the third division of our lecture here in John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41, which I've titled A Perilous Warning. Um, Okay, so after this terrible interaction, right, we're moving on here, starting in verse 35, after this terrible interaction that the Pharisees have with the man uh, now healed, we see that Jesus still has plans for this man. And I love this very tender part of the scripture, um, because Jesus heard that the man had been thrown out by the Pharisees. And I love this verse here that Jesus goes to find the man. And I want you to just resonate and pause on that verse for a second. Jesus finds him, right? Jesus is the one who pursued him. He sought him out. And I think it's just a reality. Jesus is the one who seeks out the lost, the lonely, the outcast. He is the one that seeks and saves. What a loving Savior. Just remember that. I just want you to sit on that for a second. He was the one that sought the blind man out after he'd been cast out. And he's the one that seeks you and me out. When we feel cast out, when we, in our wandering, in our lostness, he's the one that seeks us out. And Jesus asks the man born, the the man healed, I'm gonna try to remember this, the man healed in verse 35. Do you believe in the son of man? And the man asks who that is. And Jesus tells him that it is him Right, Jesus says, "You are looking at him with your new, blind, healed eyes. With your new eyes, you are looking at him." And the man responds in belief and in worship. We could expect nothing else from this incredible person, as noted in verse thirty-eight. Right, the man said, "Lord, I believe," and he worshipped him. Verse thirty-eight tells us. Just think about this man's response. Right, think about what he's been through. Okay, his whole life. First of all, he's been suffering with blindness since birth. Right and and whatever cultural burdens have been placed on him, right? He has been maybe believing that God is punishing him for some kind of sin. Um, that he's been um, that he's an outcast in society. I mean, his parents his parents weren't even willing to defend him in in front of the Pharisees. Right? This man has experienced rejection, physical ailment, a tremendous physical and spiritual burden. This entire his entire life, he has known nothing outside of that. Um, and you know, um, his his support system wasn't there and, and, and it, what should have been a celebratory experience for him, right? Was, was actually quite complicated. Um, right. He gets suspicious whisperings from his neighbors about how he was healed. The religious leaders question him, put him and Jesus on trial basically. Right. And they're like, they're doubting him, they're quizzing him and they eventually cast him out in disgust. This man has been through the ringer, and one could say that this man's life got more complicated after he met Jesus. Yes, he's been healed, but holy cow, was he put through the ringer and he got the spotlight on him. Um and now, you know, this person who's who's faced rejection all of his life, wrestling with his this blindness, struggling with this blindness, had has now is now faced with even more rejection after being healed. Um and this man could have responded with bitterness. Right? Um, and he does it, but he doesn't, um, yes, he is cast out by the Pharisees, but his response to Jesus, he isn't saying to Jesus, and he, I probably would have said this, right? He could have said, Jesus, what is going on? Like, yes, you healed my blindness, but now no one's, no one will talk to me. I just got cast out by my religious leaders, right? These people won't accept me whether I'm blind or whether I can see. (laughs) We don't hear any of that. We don't hear any type of bitterness from this man in this moment. We just meet a man who wants to meet the one who gave him sight. That's what we encounter here. And what a testimony, what a work of God in this man's life, both spiritually and physically. This man doesn't care about the consequences or what people think. He just wants to believe in the one who healed him. He wants to believe in the Son of Man. And Jesus closes this chapter, I think, with two startling statements. The first one from verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who will see will become blind. Now, this sparks a reaction from the Pharisees who ask if they are blind too. And that just, you know, they never miss, the Pharisees never miss a chance to show how clueless they really are about themselves and about Jesus. But Jesus is saying, yes, I have come to give sight to those who desperately need me, yet to those who don't think they need me, um, I'm here um, to cause that division and to really, um, and as Jesus says, right, so that the blind will see and that those who will see will become blind. Or those who think they see, right, will become blind. And so the Pharisees are like, are you talking about us, Jesus? And Jesus responds with the second startling statement in verse 41, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. He is Jesus is calling out the Pharisees' spiritual blindness, um, their hypocrisy, their self-righteousness, and he boldly proclaims the guilt that remains on them. And that leads us to our final principle today, which is that spiritual blindness has eternal consequences. Spiritual blindness has eternal consequences. All right, let's wrap up um, here um, as we're wrapping up things here in John chapter 9. Uh, we talked about you know, towards the beginning of this passage, how, right, the lies that we believe um, can blind us towards truth and hide us from the light that Christ offers. You know, the Pharisees were so spiritually blind that they couldn't see the very one that their, their scriptures predicted, predicted, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah, who had come to rescue his people from sin and death. They were so blind that they did everything in their power to ignore all the evidence that proved Jesus is God. Uh, instead, they spent their energy trying to corner Jesus, to arrest him, and to eventually kill him. Uh, but that just isn't the Pharisees' problem. John 1 tells us that Jesus came unto his own, but his own received him not. Romans 3, 11 tells us that there is no one, no one who understands God. There is no one who seeks God. Mankind's greatest hindrance and obstacle is its response to Jesus Christ the son of God. Many refuse to believe and entrust their lives to him. Jesus warns us in verse 41 of John 9 that those who fail to believe, their guilt of sin remains. They remain unforgiven and the consequences are everlasting separation from God in hell. That is spiritual death. But if you are a believer. If you are someone who has come to Jesus in faith and repentance and trusted in him for salvation, you are no longer spiritually blind. You are set free from sin and death. You are fully forgiven now and forever. But this doesn't mean, however, right, that we still don't wrestle with the lies that surround us. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a spiritual battle to tackle these lies and uncover the blindness that they are causing. You know, for believers, the lies that we believe can be so damaging and burdensome, like that awful lie that perhaps the blind man was believing about, you know, that his sin was causing his blindness, um, we can believe lies that have similar spiritual uh, that place spiritual burdens on us and can do incredible damage and can prevent us from seeing and living in the freedom that Christ has already won for us. Some lies that we might believe, right? And I'm gonna go through another list similar to the list that we did earlier in this lecture, but we can sometimes believe, we can say these statements. My life is wasted. There is no redemption that can come from my past failures or present suffering. Oftentimes in depression and loneliness, we can get stuck in that thought. Or you know, sometimes we'll say, I, I feel like I'm just one sin away, one mistake away from God not loving me or forgiving me. I am a total fraud. Or we can sometimes think if people truly discover the real me, they, just, they wouldn't just walk away, they would run if they found out what I was really wrestling with or who I was really like. Um, we can sometimes think I'm totally alone. No one understands what I'm going through. No one can truly help me through life. I'm totally on my my own. I'm alone now, and I'm alone forever. Sometimes we think I need to earn work and prove myself to God and to others. If I don't try hard enough, I'll never be able to make up for for the mistakes that I've made. Or when we're faced with bitterness and regret, we can think God's plan for my life is not his best. If it was, I wouldn't be going through or wrestling with what I'm wrestling with you know we struggle with these lies and they are lies and we have to call them out as such uh, but these lies can blind us to the light that Christ offers because we live in a fallen world we're surrounded by threats from the enemy we're we're surrounded by foolishness and we're receiving a thousand voices a day right from a thousand different places and these lies are so powerful that oftentimes they start sounding like truth so what do we do with these lies how do we counter some of the blindness that these lies can cause well you know for one we go to scripture right? We go to the place of God's truth and never changing revelation to dispel these lies. We go to verses like Deuteronomy thirty-one eight, which says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Uh, how about Ephesians 1, 7? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Or we can read through books like the Psalms, right? Which map out David and other psalmist's agony over this fallen world. And, and in those Psalms, we see time and time again, God meeting them in their agony and giving them true eternal hope and peace in the midst of broken situations. You know, already some of the verses that I just listed dispel the lies that we're just one mistake away from losing God's forgiveness, that our lives are a a mistake, that we're totally alone, that God can't bring out redemption in our lives, or that God can't use pain and suffering for his glory and our good. Those verses already, just those few verses that I listed are already calling those out, those statements out and saying, that's a lie. God is with us. God does use our lives for his glory and our good. There is redemption. We could never lose our forgiveness and our salvation in him. Our salvation and relationship and identity with Christ is forever. It is permanent because of what Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection. So we go to scripture to dispel these lies, but the second and most important thing that we do is we look to the cross. We look to the cross and the resurrection. We look at Christ's finished work because in the cross we see Jesus, the light of the world, enter our world of darkness and take the tremendous burden of sin on his shoulders. We see God's wrath for sin satisfied, our sin washed away by his blood our lives justified. And in the resurrection, we see Jesus's promise of life. We see his life, which empowers us now to live out the forgiven, free, and grace-filled lives that he has given to us. And it gives us the promise of eternal life with him, which is to come in the life to come. So, I, I wrap up here on John chapter 9, with this simple question, have you encountered the son of God on the cross and in his resurrection today? He longs to free you from the spiritual blindness that captivates your soul. So let's go to him now and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that never changes. We thank you for meeting us where we are, Lord, there are a lot of different people listening to this message. Lord, some of us maybe have been Christians for a long time. Some of us have been following you maybe for a short time. Maybe someone's listening to to this and they don't know if they've ever put their faith and trust in you, or maybe they're skeptic- skeptical. They're seeking you out. Lord, I pray wherever we're wrestling with, wherever we are in life, wherever, whatever lies that we are buying from the world around us and buying from the enemy, Lord, that you would step in to our heart and mind, and you would just give us the truth, Lord. You would just give us your truth that sets us free, that you would point us back to you, that you hold this world in your hands, that nothing is a mistake, Lord, that you allow to happen to us, and Lord, that in your cross and resurrection, you have truly set us free. You have given us a new identity, and in the cross and the resurrection, we see everything played out, Lord. We see your goal and your hope for this world played out into fruition. Lord God, I pray that the burdens and and the struggles that we're wrestling with, especially in this holiday season that can accentuate whatever we're struggling with, Lord, that you would meet us in those moments um, and that you would free us from that, Lord, and that you would give us your presence and that you would point us back to you. Lord, remind us that you are the one that seeks us out, Lord, that you are the one Um, in our wandering, in our loneliness, in feeling like an outcast, Lord, like the the man born blind, Lord, you seek us out. You search for us. Remind us of your love and your mercy and your grace in that, Lord, uh, and give us your peace and set us free from the lies that we're believing. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we will see you in 2024. Thanks so much.